Okay. Well, how about if we try Jude this morning? That's where my Bible opened up. How about yours? Does right there. I also keep a bookmark in there too. I had been using my notes to stuff in there to turn to other pages, and then I didn't have my notes, so I'd pull them back out, and then I didn't have my text. So, bookmarks are great. Bulletins are great bookmarks too. By the way, if you're looking on the back of your bulletin today, you notice I've been putting sermon note room there. If anybody uses that, I don't know, uh, but that's what's on there. And if yours says July 18th. 2021, you're a very special person this morning, because there were only 26 copies of that before I realized that I had the wrong date, so I went and changed it on the other 100 that came through. So if yours says July 18th, you're very special, um, because you have that bulletin. It's a collector's item at this point. Okay, we are, though, if you look at that, you notice there's more than just one verse on the list today. It's verse 17 through 21, and I'm doing this on purpose because we have to spend some pretty intense time in verses 20 and 21, and to do that, I wanted to give you the bigger picture before we start the smaller picture, because I think it will make sense more. We can handle this better. So that's my goal today, is to cover more territory and put it all in one big picture. I hope that's what I will accomplish. Okay, it says in Jude 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words which or that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Heavenly Father, help us again today as we dig through your word and glean from it. You always feed us well, because your word is like that. It's, it's delightful to our taste and so beneficial to our spiritual health. And I pray today we'll be no different in the way that we pay our attention and glean and uh, grow because of what we see today. Help us, we pray, for we are entirely dependent upon you to see this work through in our lives. Help us to be receptive. Help us to have our open heart and open mind and be ready to receive from your hand what you give to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We've been working through this a long time, I know. We're on Sermon 25, and there's only 25 verses. And that's amazing, because we're not there yet. But we're getting closer. Um, we have some commands that have come on our, our radar here, from verse 17 all the way down to verse number 23. They're the only commands Jude gives. And whenever I see a command in an epistle, I feel of necessity. We've got to stop and look at that carefully. If it's something God's telling us to do, don't we want to know what that is? And don't we know what to do, what we are supposed to do? This is an important passage in that way. And the fact that several of these are urgent commands, it stands out. 
that this is this isn't something just to dabble in and and pass through and and just say well we got that done and mark it off the list and move on but an urgent command is just what it sounds like it's very very important and we will do well to pay attention when we see these now the the urgent of the commands will be in verse 17 and in verse number 21 and if you Think this way. Some people like to visualize the context and it makes it easier for them to see it. Verse 22 and 23 are a different kind of command. The first two commands in the context of 17 through 21 are urgent. The second two commands that come in 22 and 23 are ongoing. Alright, there's a difference between the two. One is get it done now, and the other is don't ever stop. And so there's, there's actually mentally, I put a line between the two because they're not dealing with different issues or anything. It's just the logical order that Jude has set up. And for me as a pastor, it's easier to preach it when you see it. And so I said, okay, this is the outline. This is what we're working with. We've got urgency verse 17 through 21, and we've got ministry, verse 22 and 23, that goes on and on and on and on and doesn't stop. But they're all commands. All right? So that's that's why we're taking this very seriously. We've been warned of the dangers, and we're not going to walk through verse 4 through verse number 16 again. We've walked through the dangers. We've seen the, the horrific results of a false teacher and what they can do to a church. And uh, we're entering that section of Scripture in verse 17. What is to be done? What are we to do? Because we heard the problem. Now what is this for us to do? And this is your and my response to what God has taught us. And as I've been stressing for several weeks now, it's very personal. All of the things that we must do from verse 17 on are acts of faith. I want you to understand that most of all, they're acts of faith. These are not based on your capabilities, your strengths, your wisdom, your whatever you bring to the table. It comes down to verse number 24. That's where we started and that's our theme. He is able. And once we get our eyes off that, we're in trouble. Because the things that I'm going to bring before you, that what is to be done, and the personal involvement for all of us, is going to be too much. Unless we realize He is able. He is able. And that's why I want to keep it in the department of faith. He told us, very first of all, in verse 17, we dealt with this earlier, we are to remember. We are to remember. Remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is an urgent command. The second urgent command is in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's an urgent command. I've highlighted both of those on my, on my uh, Bible text here so I could see them easier when I'm looking right down and I see them right in front of me. Remember And keep yourselves in the love of God. They're both there on the page in front of me. Those are commands that you and I and us as believers in Christ are to be doing. 
and we're to be doing it as if it's real personal. It's what we've been told to do. As if the Lord just looked you right in the eyeball and said, this is what I want you to do. Now, would that get your attention? This is his word. He says, remember the words that were spoken to you. This is something... I like the word you ought to be doing, but that also leaves a wide open space for not doing. The word ought, I said this in passing just a couple days ago. In the Greek it means you're in debt. That's a debt. It comes from the word debt. And it means you ought to do this. I mean, you're in debt to do this. This is what's expected of you. And I don't mind saying it that way. Because when you consider all that Christ has done for you, what he's done for me, do you not feel a debt? A life to live for his glory? For his service? There's, there's that which triggers within the heart that a Christian ought to have. When it says to build yourself up in the holy faith, you ought to say, yeah, that's what I need and that's what I want to do. Have you ever taken an internal temperature inside here to see how are you responsively to the Lord's commands? If he says to do something, how quick are you to jump on it? I, I have to confess, and I'll confess this now. Many years ago, my, uh, my mom would typically say this to us that, certain times of the day, she says, would you take out the trash? Yeah, I'll get to it. You ever been there? You know where it's going? I remember a day so vividly. She brought it up twice. Would you take out the trash? And guess where I sat the whole time? Right on that chair. Didn't move a muscle. I don't know what I was doing, but it certainly wasn't obedience. I did not take out the trash. Then my mom took out the trash. You know how you feel? Oh, it's terrible. And there's nothing you could do about it. You, you can't get up and say, okay, I'll take it now, I'll take it now. She's already out the door with it. I felt terrible. I've done that once, maybe twice. But you know that feeling, don't you? How many times has the Lord said, I want you to do this. And our hearts did not engage. And our wills did not say, okay. Maybe in our head we said, yeah, Lord, that's a great idea. But we left it. For another time. When I get around to it. When it feels more convenient. These kind of things. When I tell you that verse 17 is a command to remember the words that were given to you. What is your response? I'm just asking you, don't say it out loud, but you know what's in your heart right now. These commands are given to us by our Lord. And I'm just feel curious, how are we going to respond to these? Do we respond like one who's in debt? Yes, I will. Do we respond like one who loves our Lord? Yes, I will. Do we respond like one who saw the danger and say, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to do it. When it says, you need to be built up in the most holy faith, in verse number 20, that's expected of you. Is that happening? Your pastor is just stomping all over the toes this morning, isn't he? Why? Because I want to check our hearts. We can walk through commands 
dissect them every single way. I could tell you the nature of them, the urgency of them, the continuation of them, and all those parts. But if the heart's not engaged, we're just here for a mental exercise. And I don't want to leave it there, do you? I want to take this to the level where we say, yes, Lord, and we engage ourselves to do these things. Because what you see in verse 17 and verse 21 are a Essential if we're ever going to accomplish verse 22 and 23. You cannot do 22 and 23. Just flying off, you know, just jump out, up. Okay, I'll do those, but I can't do the first two. It's almost like the first two are prerequisites. They're necessary. If anything is going to be done in the end, which is the department of helping other people, <laughs> then we've got to make sure that we're right with the Lord too. So, I'm sure you understand that. Let me put it in a simpler way. Everything that requires service by another person comes with an expectation that that other person knows what they're doing. You would certainly want the surgical team who does brain surgery to have training before they open up your head. Simple thing, is it? If you take your car into a mechanic, don't you want to know that he knows how to fix a car? Even pastors are asked for experience and education before they're hired. And if they're not asked that, then the church might be in trouble. But that's, that's what we expect. In Christian service, we're ministering to one another. I'm depending on your ministry to me. And you're depending on my ministry to you. Think it through for a minute. Isn't it done much better when the person serving you is mature in the faith? Oh yes it is. That's what we all want. That's what we expect of everybody. But should we expect it of ourselves? I'm just setting the table for you today. Because the Lord is showing us how to... Be, as a believer, prepared for service. And Jude brings this up, and it's quite pronounced. You are to be mature. That's verse number 20. He says it. You are to be built up. That's actually expected of you, the way it's said. We'll get to that part of our study pretty soon. But that's expected of you. You are to be mature in the faith. And if you're not, I'm going to have to ask you, why? Why is that not true? We're supposed to be built up. That way, when we're built up and we're mature, we're capable of ministering to those in need. Folks, there's a lot of needs out there. There's a lot of needs out there. Are we anywhere ready to handle them? In spiritual circles, are we ready? That's what I want to just set before you. So, number one, we talked about this last week. The word remember, in verse number 17, is an urgent command. And you cannot remember what you haven't read. Is that too easy to say it that way? If they are the words of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know why they wrote? They were bored. Is that right? They just wanted to publish a book. 
They just wanted to be sold at Barnes & Noble or something. Why did they write their, their books? Why did they write their letters? Were they not appealing to the congregation that they wrote to to grow up in their knowledge of Christ so that they can be successful in Christian walk, especially in their day, which was tough? How many epistles were written from a prison cell? Men who have struggled under weights of heavy, heavy ministry. And they wrote these things, not because they were bored and not because they just wanted some pat on the back or they wanted some sort of royalties from the books. They wrote because they were concerned about the audience. Are you taking this Christian life seriously? That's the nature of the epistles. More than anything else, are you taking this Christian life seriously? And as this is being written, he says, remember... Remember, and we cannot remember what we haven't read. And so I appeal to you again, open your Bibles. Read, read, read. Or just keep saying that until I'm sure that everybody's got it memorized. Because that's the nature of it. We have to keep learning. And that's the urgency of it. Do it now. Do it decisively. That means on purpose. Do it deliberately. Start right now. Get busy, all of you. Second person plural. I love that. I love that addition to it. All of you. Not just some of us. All of us. All of us. Remember the Word. Remember the Word. Remember the Word. Remember the Word. You got it? That's what we're called to do. Second command. Jump down to verse number 21. Stay. I'm going to change the word for it for a minute. It says, keep yourselves. Guard is another word for it. Stay in the love of God. Now, we're going to enhance that, of course, as we walk through this passage. But this is all on the nature of building faith. Building faith. Being close to our God. Walking close to Him. And that, by the way, comes from people who read God's Word. If you're not doing command number one, you're very likely not going to do command number two. To stay there, you have to be faith builders. You have to walk close to Him by faith. Because after all, isn't that what He calls us, us to do? He calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. How many examples do we get in the book of Hebrews on people who walk by faith? Why does God keep bringing that up? Because that's a command for us to do. It's to walk together with Him. Stay close to His love. Now, with those two things established, and I'm going to, like I said, enhance that a little bit, then we move to the rescue level in verse 22 and 23. And this is where we go to help others. And both of these commands are, do not quit, do not quit, do not quit, do not quit, do not quit. I picture the, the marathon runner. It, I only have to picture him because I can't do it. I have to picture him. But my brother runs marathons, and I don't know why. <laughs> he, do, he does, goes out in those 26-milers and things like that, and I, so I don't understand that. But he runs and runs and runs. But somewhere I know in there, because I ran cross-country for a while, and that I don't know why either. But uh, I, I signed up for the team without even knowing what it was. They said, hey, you want to join the cross-country team? I said, yeah. 
And then I found out what it was. And that was crazy. They'd set you up, shoot off a gun, you just run. But that's not as easy as that. And, and there's a place along the way, and for me it was after the first quarter of the mile, that I was thinking, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. These last two commands we're going to deal with in verse 22 and 23, you could write, do not quit. Because they're present tense commands. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And who can do that? It's the one who is urgently remembering God's word and staying close to him. Because that's called faith. And then he moves down and says, okay, I could keep going. I could keep going. I could keep going. And what they have to do is hard. Because we're going to discuss verse 23 especially about snatching them out of the fire and hating the garments polluted by the flesh. There is a lot of mess out there. And it's easy to quit. It's easy to quit when we're told to have mercy. And when we're told to save others, we need to keep on going. So, with all that, I want you to understand, in the greater context of what I'm showing you today, none of this is based on your strength. None of this is based on your wisdom. None of it is based on your planning or even on your glory. This is not what we're looking at. Commands come to remind us that He is able, and we need to anchor to that. That's the point. Verse number 24, and I told you when we started this, that that was the key to the whole book. Now to him who is able. Because once you take your eyes off that, you realize that you're not. You're not able. I'm not able. We can't do this ministry. God can do it. And that's why we need to let him work through us. Does all that make sense to you? Do you want me to start all over on this? Are we okay? This is important. I wanted to do that because to walk into a paragraph like 17 through 21, you have to get that, that perspective of what is this we're trying to learn here? This, this personal building up side that we are talking about, this response by faith that we're talking about here, that God is able. What are we talking about here? It comes down to just two simple things in the book of Jude. Remember what he said and stay close to him. Remember what he said and stay close to him. So let's take it bite-sized a little bit now. But you, beloved, verse 17, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? That God would make it a command. And I tell you, God made it a command. You do understand that God wrote this book. He used people, yes. He used Jude, yes. It was Jude's pen and Jude's ink, but it was God who guided him, led him. There's all kinds of words we use theologically. He moved him along. It's called inspiration. God wrote this book. And God said, this is important. So why? What makes it so important? Why did the apostles say this? And why did they say it before, and before, and before, and before? Remember the list last week? That was a long list. The apostles have said this. For years they said this. They said what verse 18 is saying. 
They were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts, and these are the ones who cause division and worldly-minded and devoid of the Spirit. We've been on this topic in two levels. Some of you know that Sunday nights we're also doing Second Peter. And Second Peter looks just like Jude in many places. They're, com- they're, they're combined in the sense that they're both dealing with the same problem. False teachers in the church. And Peter said this too. Mockers will come. And Jude is copying that and says, yeah, that's what Peter said. You can almost read it in the words. That's what he was saying. That's what John said. That, that's what Paul said. That, that's, that's been said to us so many times. And the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Not maybe. They will come. That is very important to understand. I know I would like, if I could, if I could control the world, it'd be great. But if I could control the fact that mockers might not come, I'd love it. If I could keep them out, I would do that. If I had any control in that, I would. But this is prophetic in nature, and God said it. I can't change that. God said they will come. They will come. Matter of fact, when Jude is writing, they're already there. He says they've already crept in unnoticed. Here's the nice thing. You ready for this? Verse 19, 18 and 19 is the last time Jude brings them up. You said, but Jude, that's all you seem to talk about. No. He finishes right here at this point. It's the last time he's going to make reference to them. So I'm not going to go into all the details, all the details of what we've seen in verse 4 through 16. But just simply say, it was prophesied. This is not a surprise to God. He's not suddenly shocked what happened. He knew this. He warned of this. For whatever reason, we don't pay attention. We don't remember. I told you before that I believe that if Jude's audience had remembered, they probably wouldn't have had the problem. The mockers will come. There's no surprise that mockers exist. Mockers exist in our world too, just like they existed in Jude's. If they're willing to take God's grace, in verse 4, and twist it into sin and make it look good, they, they don't hesitate to mock God. If they're able to defy and deny and to even revile angelic majesties, verse number 8, mocking's not that far off their course. If there are men who walk with, with no reason, they act more like animals, they come in to destroy the church, they, they, you've seen the characteristics of all these things. If they're willing to mock everything the church is about, and God's Word too, don't be surprised if they mock you too. And that's what they do. They mock. They mock and they mock and they continuously mock. It's present tense, folks, which means they keep on mocking. They mock and mock and mock and mock and mock. They don't ever stop. They never let up. It's annoying. That's the, that's the way I look at the word. It's, it's an annoying thing that they do. That they mock constantly, constantly, 
constantly. That's what Peter was teaching us the other night when we were looking at Second Peter 3. They will come with their mockings, and they don't stop. They don't stop. They also cause division. Look at verse 19. This also is present tense, continuous nature. And matter of fact, it's even more interesting to me as I looked at it because it's an intensified verb. You know what that means? They do it on purpose. It's not an accident that division follows behind them wherever they go. They do it on purpose. They cause it. That's their goal, is to cause division. This one, folks, I'll tell you what I think, just if that means anything. Many times when people are looking for false teaching in a church, they think, well, this should be pretty obvious for everybody, because after all, a false teacher grows horns out of their head, and they grow this funny pitchfork tail. Wouldn't that be great if we spot them that way? We say, oh, well, there's one. Look at the horns. There must be a false teacher. That's why we comb our hair carefully in the morning so you don't see those. That's not what he says to look for. He says, look for division. That's, that's underrated in our world today as to what they're talking about when they cause divisions and stuff like that. People don't consider that. When there's problems in the church and there's always contention, there seems to always be contention, when you start to see division break out among them, something is really wrong there. I'm going to say it, but when there is division, you can be sure behind it is some sort of false teaching. Because believers are supposed to be unified in the Word, unified in the Spirit, unified in their growth and maturity in Christ. Read Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're supposed to be. And when that's not happening... Oh, I know, sometimes you say, well, that's just difference of opinions, that's this theology, that's that theology, that's just, you know, personalities and all these other things. I say, when you see divisions, Jude is telling us here, look closer, there's false teaching somewhere. Something is causing that. And God didn't design the church to be divided like it is today. Why is it? Is it not that we have stirred in False teaching somewhere along the way, and it's caused divisions. You say, well, that could be, maybe, sort of. But guess what? A false teacher always brings it. Where there's a false teacher, there's division. Because that's what they do. They divide, they divide, they divide. And understand the strategy here. And the work that they're doing is they stir up arguments. They separate themselves. King James has that phrase. They divide you, the NIV says this. That's their strategy. Understand it. Their strategy is simple. A church cannot help others when it's fractured itself. It cannot. False teachers break up church fellowships. We saw earlier in the book, when we were studying these, that these people are like uh, reeves. In your love feast. Hidden reefs. Verse number 12. What is the whole point of that? It always breaks the bottom of the boat. False teachers always tear up. Tear it up. Tear it up. Tear it up. That's part of the strategy. It goes back to even the simplest things in the world. If you think about it. What do wolves like to do with the flock? Scatter it. 
so they could find the weaker ones and eat them. There's a strategy, even in the way animals operate, in order to get what they want, they have to separate. A church is so much stronger when it's mature and when it's working together and when it's meeting the needs of people. And that's what Jude is saying here. But I would suggest that Jude is writing to a church that's struggling with that point because they've already crept in unnoticed. And Jude says, we got a problem. The mockers are come and they've come to divide. And they will. They cause divisions. They cause divisions. They cause divisions. They are worldly minded, it says in verse number 20 or 19 as well. They're worldly minded. Their mind is set on the world. Do you see it? Not on the word, but on the world. That's why, again, I make the appeal to us as believers. Put our minds on the word and not on the world. The world is going to tell you what to think. The world is going to shape you in your thinking and make you think like they think. The world is sensual. King James uses that word here. Sensual. It follows its senses. It doesn't walk by faith. It walks by sight. The world is egocentric. It thinks about itself. And isn't that quite the opposite of the Christian walk? In every way, when you bring up the word worldly, do you see anybody writing a good book on how to be a worldly Christian? No. They shouldn't. They do. Don't buy it. We're not called to be worldly. Guess what the false teachers want you to be? Worldly. That means you're immature. That means you're weak. That means you fall easy. And they have the upper hand. They're doing it for their own gain. They're not doing it because they think well of you. They just think very highly of themselves. We've already seen that they're boastful. They're braggarts. This is far different, people. 19 is far different from the characteristics of Christ. He was humble. He served other people, just like we know. He even died for them. And the people that Jude is speaking of only want to be served. They say, gimme, 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 gimme. These are the people who destroy a church in a hurry. And in case you're wondering what kind of people are these, look at the last phrase of verse 19. They are devoid of the Spirit. That means they don't have Him. You want the simple definition? They're not saved. Because you cannot be a believer in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. You cannot. That's the way God designed it. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in. That's what He does. And He seals you into the body of Christ. He puts you into God's, in the body of Christ. That's His job. That's what He does. And He indwells you. That's so wonderful to know. A false teacher is devoid. Devoid. He doesn't have it. They're not saved at all. The Living Bible said it's so simple. They do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. Isn't it obvious? They're worldly. They're divisive. They love shame. They walk after the things of this earth. They just want to satisfy themselves. And in case you're still not convinced, verse 15 says that they are ungodly. They have ungodly deeds. They have ungodly ways. They have ungodly words. And they are simply ungodly sinners. Does that sound like a saved individual to you? 
No. What are you called to be? Different. But you, beloved, are different. You're different. Don't be like them. Don't listen to them. You're to be a contrast to the false teacher. Build up your faith. They deny your faith. Build up your faith. They divide the faithful. Build up the faith. Build yourselves up on the most holy faith, verse 20 says. Pray in the Holy Spirit. They are devoid of the Holy Spirit. But you are different. Pray in the Holy Spirit. How's your prayer life? It's supposed to be different than a false teacher. Keep yourselves in the love of God. They are ungodly. I've already emphasized that. They're ungodly in every single department. They're ungodly. You're to keep yourselves in the love of God. You are to expect His coming. Isn't that what verse 21 says right in the middle? Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That means... I can't wait for him to come. How about you? Wouldn't it be great if it was today? Oh, that'd be super. The Lord should come today. I love the word anxious in that phrase. Because we get anxious about a lot of things. But whenever we ever turned it to, Lord, are you coming today? I can't wait any longer. Anxious about it. Anxious. We're going to work on that phrase. But we're to be like that. Do you know what the mocker does? He denies he's coming at all. He says, oh, he's not coming. Read Second Peter 3 if you're not with us on Sunday nights. The whole thing is, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? That's what they constantly say. They don't believe he's coming. They don't believe it. As you can see, what's happening in verse 20 and 21 is the complete opposite of where the false teacher wants to lead you. Turn the course and go the other way. Because he's going to lead you away from God, not toward him. You see the picture? You've heard all this before. I'm not preaching something brand new to you. But the point is, we need to remember this. We need to remember this and stay close to our Lord. Stay close to our Lord. Stay close to our Lord. Our time is running out. Is this clock wrong? Is it? <laughs> Yeah, okay. Wow, look at all this, folks. I, I'm, I'm making an appeal to you. Can, can you hear my heart today? That's what I want to do. If I could express it in any other way. We don't want to fall for this. We don't want to be in this trap. We don't want to be caught up in this. There's a lot to clean up when this mess comes in a lot to clean up. There's something always sad when it rains real hard and it gets beyond all that we've done out here on this side of the church to get the water to drain. Because eventually when it rains enough, guess where it goes? Right into the basement. And some of you guys have been here with the, the, the backs and everything else and you've been here at strange hours trying to suck the water out of the carpet because it's gotten in. It's gotten in. And that's what I... I, I know that the mess always comes when something isn't right. And I don't want that, do you? I'm just making an appeal to you personally, because this is not the guarding that only a pastor does. It's all of us together. That's the point. 
all of us together, growing together, maturing together, remembering together, staying close to the Lord together. And that's the only defense we're given in here. It's all based on a God who is able. And are we close enough for that to be true? Please, put yourself in this page. Read it personally and say, I must do these things. They're not optional for me. They're not optional. May we all take this to heart. May we all stand up and say, this is about me. This is what I need to do. There's a lot here. Now, I'm going to go into more details, obviously. But I just wanted to start with an appeal before we go into the nitty-gritty parts here to say, this is important. Let us not pass by it. Let's not just walk on and say, we did that. Let's take it seriously. Heavenly Father, help us, please. Help us as a congregation to, to read this word and take it to heart. To realize that this is important. We are in these days. The danger is real. And the destruction that follows it is horrible. And we don't want that, Lord. We do not want to go down that road. So, work inside where the Holy Spirit dwells to prompt our thinking, to move our will, to give us a desire like we've never had before, to open up your word and read it, to read it, to grow in it, so we stay close to our God, stay close to his love, grow up, mature, and be strong. It will help us when the enemy attacks, but it will also help us when it's time to rescue a brother or sister. Give us a personal responsibility here, a personal response to walk by faith in what we see, to do it, because we love our Savior. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.